It's good to see all of you here today. These are the fainted heart, I guess, except for Mike. Those of you that couldn't make it to Oklahoma City and run the marathon today. Some of us couldn't even dream about doing that. But Mike, we're glad you survived the half and made it back to worship with us. But I know that many have gone to Oklahoma City today to participate in that, and we pray for their well-being. After working in the yard all day yesterday, I found something last night online that pretty well speaks of who I am today. It says, I must have eaten way too many Rice Krispies in my early life because now all I can do is snap, crackle, and pop. (laughs) So if I crackle and pop a little bit today, you'll know it's just because, uh, but it is good to be here to share with you today. As we continue today in those, looking at those initial days of Jesus earthly ministry that are recorded there in Luke. Today we're going to go back to Jesus' hometown for his first visit there as he begins his uh, earthly ministry as Luke records it. As we've seen over the last two weeks, we saw Jesus' baptism and God's blessing of him and, and the need and the urgency for us to bless each other, to bless our family and to carry that on. Last week, the temptation out in the wilderness... And today, Jesus goes home. Today, he goes home and announces fulfillment of Scripture and his call to ministry to begin. But it's interesting for me to look at the that for three weeks in a row, as Jesus began his ministry, we see the Holy Spirit active and involved in every one of these. In the baptism, it was the Holy Spirit that descended like a dove over Jesus. In the temptation story, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And today, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. To me, even that as a beginning and as a forefront of where we are today, it makes me wonder, why don't we claim that power for ourselves? Why don't we acknowledge the power of the Holy Spirit to to come in and to swoop us up, to come in and protect us, to come in and lead us? Maybe even lead us sometimes into paths that we don't particularly like to go. The passage that we'll consider today is taken from Luke chapter 4 and specifically verses 14 and following. And there it reads, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and was as his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there he stood up to read. First thing that catches me here is, you know, hometowns can be those most familiar places in the world. It's where a person is remembered well, and where relationships sometimes go back for generations, But it's also where it's hard to gain respect, as even Jesus saw here this day. No matter where you, no matter who you become, what you've done, where you've been, all that you've experienced, you're always remembered as as that time when you were only three and stuck raisins up your nose. Going home is a challenge for many of us. Going home and getting respect, going home and is there for us sometimes can truly be a challenge. 
But going home is where we start to consider this passage. So let us consider how we are received as we live our lives at home now. For many of us, hometown is a good place to be from. Any of y'all there? Hometown's a good place to be from. For some of you, you may have never left home. This is where you were born. This is where you were raised. And may, for a lot of parts, this is all you've known. You know, I pastored a church in the western mountains of Colorado. And there were folks there that hadn't ever been past the, sand, the, the valley where Alamosa is. hundred miles away was about as far as they had been in their entire life. So home had a new meaning for them. Whatever the case today, wherever you are in finding home, this is a message that I believe speaks to each and every one of us here. To set the stage, consider this. The story begins with Jesus' return to Galilee. He had been gone for several months at least, if, as you follow the chronology that Luke has here. He was baptized by John in Jordan. He was tempted by Satan in the Judean wilderness, and he returned to the province of Galilee, where his fame quickly spread, so the passage says. Galilee is an area where Jesus grew up. Size-wise, that we may be able to reflect and to associate it with is uh, Galilee was the Minnesota of Palestine. It was up north. However, it was a fairly small province, only 50 miles north to south, 25 miles east to west. Some ranches out west that are bigger than that. The name came from Galil, which is a Hebrew word for circle, probably because Galilee was encircled with non-Jewish nations. Most of us would probably think of Galilee as a rural community with little population and just small villages. At least from the Jewish historian Josephus, we'd see that that's really not what Galilee was. You see, Joseph was once the governor of Galilee, and he wrote that there are at least 204 villages in the province, all of which have at least 15,000 in population. If his numbers were correct... Galilee had a population of more than 3 million people in only an area slightly larger than the metropolitan Minneapolis and St. Paul area. It was and still is a fertile area with lots of water and trees, major trade routes connected through Galilee, so thousands of merchants from different countries and languages passed through. Jesus grew up in a place maybe like Norman where people passed through and knowledge was exchanged and, and ideas were exchanged and they were new and, and, and aware of, of new ideas to be shared. Galileans were known for their courage, for their independence, and for openness to change. Maybe at least until this day. But Jesus went from village to village, as we see in the rest of Scripture. He goes from village to village, teaching at each of the local synagogues in the towns where he went. Synagogues were just little churches where people worshipped and they came to learn. 
And only once in a while did they go to the big temple in Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and for festivals and other rituals. What did it take to have a synagogue in a town? It took a reality of only having ten families that would meet together to worship and study for them to be able to, to develop a synagogue in those towns. It's also interesting that, that in these synagogues they didn't have any full-time preachers. And so it wasn't unusual for people traveling through to be invited to, to read the scripture for the day or to bring insights to what the passage that was for the day to be read. And as we see in the rest of scripture, Jesus wowed them at the synagogue after synagogue everywhere he traveled. Of course, he is a wonderful teacher and had great insights into the Bible which, of course, in those days would have been the Old Testament scrolls. When Jesus came home to Nazareth, he attended the synagogue just like he always had. It was a synagogue probably where he grew up, and everyone there knew him well. The president of the synagogue asked him to read the Scripture and teach. You know, in that small church in the Colorado mountains, I remember my very first Sunday. I went in view of a call on Father's Day, and I went back around the 1st of August. And I stood up to to preach that first Sunday uh, in August, and I looked on the back row, and my childhood minister was sitting on the back row. And next to him was another minister that had pastored a church in Uvalde. And I went, oh, no. But Jesus boldly stood up to read as a sign of respect for the Scriptures. And of course it would have been that designated passage of Scripture for that day of Isaiah, from Isaiah 40. The words of Jesus speak, spoke powerfully on a number of levels that day. Because of what it meant for the people enslaved, because of the fact that Jesus now declares that he is the one who will set them free. Because through these words, Jesus mixes in Old Testament themes and declares, Today, you have heard the fulfillment of this prophecy. Verses 18 through 19, we read those words from Isaiah that Jesus read that day. And there it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This from the passage of the scroll that Jesus was handed that day. Probably for the hearers would have been great and excited news because it was the promise of hope. It was the promise of Messiah. It was the promise of future. And then in verses 20 and 21, it happened. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say, Today, today, this scripture is fulfilled. Speaking words in your hometown. 
And quickly those attending the synagogue that day began to wonder. <laughs> they even began to question. You know, isn't this Jesus that grew up down the street? Isn't this Joseph's son that spent his time in the carpentry shop? Isn't this Jesus that grew up with our children? What is this blasphemous word that he is saying that he fulfills the prophecy? What is it that he is claiming to be Messiah? You know, it's hard to do things in your own hometown. But it grew from there on to verse 28 where it said, And all the people in the synagogues were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But Jesus, as he passed, left their midst to go and to be to continue his ministry. You know, many of us have been there. Hearing a great speaker talk and hearing about those things that we're very familiar with and we get excited about it, we get drawn into the conversation, we get drawn into the passage of Scripture, we get drawn into the book that they begin to tell and then all of a sudden they go too far. And we become disappointed, sometimes a little bit confused, sometimes even a little bit angry. Put yourself in that crowd, growing up in the neighborhood with Jesus and playing with your children, and see what you would really feel. You know, it's easy for us to say, those silly people that were there, why couldn't they see? <laughs> why can't we see? Why can't we see this proclamation of prophecy being filled? For Jesus, it quickly went from great to hear from the local boy to chasing him out of town because he, was, he proclaimed to be who he was. This was another beginning. Claiming his call, identifying who he was, and as they left, they went to dispose of him but he left and went to begin ministry. Called to ministry. Called to ministry is a challenge for us to get our hands around. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe. But if you look at the rest of the scriptures and you begin looking at passages such as Matthew 28 in that passage that we know as the Great Commission where it reads, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And then I see a call for all who claim to be disciples to be about making disciples, if you look at that. All of us who name Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all of us have been called to make disciples 
across the earth. Or we can go to John chapter 21 where Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Where we listen in those words where Jesus, where it says, when, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Don't you, like get asked, don't you love getting asked the same question over and over and wondering what you're digging yourself into? For the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know these things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Or in 1 Peter chapter 2, <coughs> excuse me, where it's written, Because you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. You know, I see in all these passages a call to action, a call to action to you and to me. A very strong call to action. And in, all, in, in our call to action, we must understand that that is a call to each and to every one of us to be ministers to each other and to the broader world around us. I found these questions recently and they sit prominently on my desk. First question is, am I doing what I was made to do? Am I doing what I was made to do? And the second one that goes along with that says, in doing that, am I using my best gifts? Are you doing what you're made to do? And are you using your best gifts? You know, it's interesting. The first, pass, the first Peter passage that, we, that I read a moment ago is that in which we as Baptists used to identify ourselves as priesthood of believers. You know, and I am greatly concerned, and I have been for a long time, that we have for too long taken the privilege of being priests greatly to heart because we can come and we can pray and we can read scripture and we can interpret those scripture but we have forgotten about the fact that when we are priests there is also a responsibility that goes along with that see with privilege there always comes responsibility and we are our responsibility is as a as a as a priesthood of believers is to go and to minister and to be about touching lives My own journey to an understanding of call to ministry took a long time. At first it took 
a number of years for me to understand and get through losing both parents in a car wreck. A little bit older than you, but trying to figure out what in the world that meant. And then going to Memphis, Tennessee and doing all that I could to convince a church not to ordain me as a deacon because I said, not me. No way God's calling me to do that. And the church said, we want to be a part of what God's doing in your life and we need you to acknowledge that God is doing something and He wants you to do that. It went along for 13 years and I began to to have some uneasiness and wonder what in the world all this is going on and what all I'm doing And God begins to stir in my heart and to stir in my heart. And I then had to overcome these questions of, and I can't do anymore. I don't want to do anymore. We're honest. I don't want to do anymore. After all, for the last 13 years, I've been an active deacon. I've done all the lay ministry stuff. I'm even serving as the chairman of deacons. But that wasn't where God wanted me to stop. I can tell you that it was a huge step for me to take to say to God that, okay, if full-time ministry is what you want in my life, it's okay. Lydia can tell you that I struggled a long time through that journey. Forty-one years old. Three girls and a wife and a great job. Well, a job anyway. I can tell you that it's been on a journey even since then at times. To understand what it means to serve in the church. To what it means to understand, to minister and to put yourself out on the line. To understand that, that even with the church, there's a whole lot of evil stuff that goes on when you're called to ministry and you begin to see and understand. So much so that I had to begin to wonder if God made a mistake and under, or if I had made a mistake in understanding God's call. I can tell you today, I am more convinced than ever that this is what God's called me to do. To be a minister of the gospel. Certainly seeing some of the challenges of questions from my own hometown both there in that town to have a mixture of support and a mixture of question and doubt to understand that even in my family I had some that supported and some that doubted and discouraged certainly some within the church that would doubt and discourage because I think I go through these things because that step to minister and that step to journey isn't always an easy journey, but it's a journey that every one of us have been called to do. Now, how about you? I can tell you that there's some of you out here to say, Preacher, you're not talking to me today. <laughs> there is no way, no how, not now, no, not ever will I do that. Let me ask you, are you doing what you've been made to do? Scripture says we all have been called. It's about understanding what God has called you to do. 
It's understanding what God has called us to do together as we minister together. And yes, it can be scary because some of us will say, if I say yes, God's going to move me across the world. And I can tell you when I told our children that I was going into full-time ministry, they said they went back into their bedrooms and they called us to the living room a little while later and they sat us down and our children were fifth graders and second graders. And they derived a song back in the bedroom that says, please don't send us to Africa because because people there don't wear clothes. (laughs) That was their response to my call to ministry initially. And a lot of fear in that to me as well. But I can assure you that God does not need all of us to leave Norman, nor does he call all of us to full-time ministry. But he does call all who know him to serve him. And I can tell you the only way that will ever work is spending time in prayer and in the scriptures to find out what God's calling you to do and you to do and you to do and all of us to do. I can tell you his call is to be about building his kingdom, touching lives and building his church, period. It's done and over with. If we'll take our call seriously to touch the lives of this world, of this community, and to be a family together to build His church, not just this church, but the larger church. It is about today and tomorrow and next week and next month and years ahead. It is about supporting your church and finding your way to be a positive influence in what we are called to be together. It is about living life in a way to affect each other and other people that you may be the only person in their life that could ever affect who they are. But I can also tell you that our call to ministry is not being about naysaying in the church. It's not about protecting the past, and it's not about criticizing the pastor and the staff or some other teacher or some other person in the church. It's about being about those things that God calls us to be in His church. To be. It's about finding a home called the church. Understanding your call to minister within it and to the world around us and to be excited to see what God is doing in our midst and not always saying, there's no way that could be God. God has called all of us. Some of us are resisting and denying. Some of us are angry even at that idea of God being called or us being called by God to minister but it doesn't change the reality of call. And once we understand that, we can understand that it will be good for you and good for the church. Today as we respond, can you say first and beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you can't get there, you can't get to being called to ministry. And if you can't get there today, today may be the day God's calling you to that. Second, do you know what God's called you to in ministry? Are you doing what God's called you to do? Again, today may be the day to step into that journey. And it's a lifelong journey. It's a great journey. Seek God and understand. His call to Peter would be a call to you today.
do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Let's pray.